0: Welcome to WFUV's What's What? It's Friday, June 17th. What's What? is the daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues surrounding the New York metropolitan area. And it includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Christina Lulich. And I'm Taylor Meseta. Coming up, we'll have some features from reporters, but let's get started now with the headlines. So the final Democratic debate for New York governor wrapped up yesterday. That's right, Taylor. The debate covered a bunch of topics like environmental policies, gun laws, and school curriculums.
1: Governor Hochul went up against Congressman Tom Suwazi and New
0: York City public advocate Jumani Williams. And early voting for the primary opens on Saturday, June 28th, so get your ballots ready. I sure will. Also, great news coming out of the MTA. The long-awaited Amtrak train from Penn Station to Vermont will be hitting the tracks today. This is a new alternative to the current Vermonter
1: train, which takes nine hours and makes frequent stops in Massachusetts and Connecticut. This
0: new train takes seven and a half hours each way. Tickets start at $75 and the train will run daily out of Penn Station at 2.21 p.m. But if you're sticking around
1: the city, you may notice the digital art show in Times Square.
0: Yeah, Taylor, the Times Square Advertising Coalition will showcase the art of 48 New York City public school students. It's to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the P.S. Art Exhibition.
1: And don't worry if you
0: can't make it out there today. The show will stick around until Monday. Also in the city, the Grammy Museum is launching a program called A New York Evening With. That's right, Christina. The first headliner tonight will be Grammy winner John Baptiste. This program will include discussions and performances with featured artists. It'll kick off tonight at the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts at 730 and will run for six weeks.
1: So much of New York's history is intertwined with black
0: culture, but one Bronx park is commemorating its history this weekend. WFUV's Madison Colombo has more.
2: Before it was a beloved Bronx hotspot, Van Cortlandt Park was a plantation, a fact lost in recent decades. Like many places across New York, that part of its history has long been unknown and ignored. Today, the park is working on uncovering its sordid history and amplifying the voices of the Black Africans who lived and died on the land. Stephanie Erlrich is the executive director of Van Cortlandt Park. She says they want to better tell that part of their history.
3: We grew up not knowing that this happened here. Uh, New York City, you know, we thought we're in the North, we're the good guys. We didn't have anything to do with this. And that is entirely untrue. New York City was heavily involved in the slave ecosystem. And so the wealth of our entire country is built on uh, on slavery. And so for us to remember that, to reflect on it, and, and as Judith said, you know, take this moment and then let's move
4: forward in a positive way.
2: Just last year, during their first Juneteenth event, The park unveiled new signage denoting the African Burial Ground present on the land. Now, the park is partnering with the Bronx Arts Ensemble, a group that brings free music to the Bronx and schools, to put on its second annual Juneteenth commemoration. The event is meant to be a celebration of Black culture and will feature spoken word, music, and other performances. Everything will culminate in a drum procession to the African Burial Ground for a ceremony to honor the memory of enslaved people. Judith Insel, executive director of the Bronx Arts Ensemble, says the event acknowledges the impact black culture has had on every facet of life, but especially the arts.
4: The, the intersectionality of the black or African or African-American culture in particular in this country is permeating through everything, music, dance, theater, visual arts, fashion, media, everything has that African-American, African diaspora footprint on it when it comes to the arts and culture of this country.
2: Incel says events commemorating Juneteenth are vital to reminding the country to reflect on its past, but also to be able
4: to move forward. To, Juneteenth to me is, has incredible meaning to it. As an African-American person, it's a day that I believe that the whole country is coming to realize that they need to stop and reflect on the ideals that the country was involved in actual slavery.
2: But she says instead of guilt, the knowledge about the day should be used for progress.
4: You can actually use that knowledge to to move forward in a positive way, uh, knowing that we have to have Equity amongst everybody that lives in this country. And so having the actual day acknowledged is a huge thing for African American people.
2: The event will take place at Van Cortland Park June 20th at 6 p.m. For more information, you can check our website at
1: wfuvnews.org. I'm Madison Colombo, WFUV News. Growing up, characters on TV and in films are an important part of how people create their own identities.
0: But for people of color, racist stereotypes and exclusion from Hollywood have played a big role in their formative years. So WFUV's David Escobar sat down with Fordham professor Brandy Monk Payton to talk about the TV industry's shortcomings and how it plans to fix them.
5: What are some developments that you've recently seen in terms of more black representation on TV?
0: In this current
3: moment, we are in what has been called a Black renaissance in television. There has been this push bringing more folks of color on screen, both in front of and behind the camera. The industry um, is attuned to the viability of Black audiences and Black creative programs.
5: What are some major ways you think that racial depictions have changed on television over time?
3: There was a public reaction to programs like Amos and Andy, a a television program with Black actors, a sitcom. And it was divided, but certainly the reaction amongst the NAACP, for instance, was that these programs were stereotypical meaning they trafficked in negative stereotypes of Black people as bumbling. Um, And in the contemporary moment, there is less of an emphasis on caricature, uh, sort of development of of, of Blackness on screen. You see characters that are more full um, and human, right? So they're complicated and they're complex.
5: There was a recent controversy surrounding Moses Ingram, a black actress in the new Star Wars series who was attacked by fans online. Why do you think black actors often bear the load of scrutiny for their characters on shows?
3: toxic fandom is the phrase, exists. One of the main sort of touchstones was the Ghostbusters revival. Leslie Jones uh, in particular became the object of ire for um, a ton of fans. And I, you know, for a long time, we sort of understood the default understanding of fandom was through whiteness. But it's still really traumatizing for uh, a Black actor to uh, confront all of this vitriol.
5: What do you hope the industry does going forward to really make sure that other people of color are represented correctly and accurately in media?
3: think a lot about the summer of 2020, the Black Lives Matter protests and the ways in which the entertainment industry, television especially, um, decided to present what they would do in the future in terms of anti-racist work um, in the industry. They called it the racial reckoning. Fast forward two years and not much has actually changed. For example, Netflix uh, most recently decided to Fire a lot of Black women. We have to take those kinds of practices seriously and try to think about the ways in which the industry can recruit and retain actors of color, uh, people behind the scenes, whether that be writers or producers or below-the-line workers, um, like hair and makeup, uh, and and really sort of give these folks um, their credit, give them validation and pay them more. I think that's one sort of material way that the industry um, that I hope can, can sort of meet the moment.
0: And in sports, a scintillating NBA Finals came to an end last night. Colin Lockerin has everything on the series finale and more from across the world of sports.
6: Indeed, the association has a new top dog. The Golden State Warriors are your 2022 NBA champions. They defeated the Boston Celtics by a score of 103-90 in Game 6 at TD Garden last night. The win marks the seventh title in Warriors franchise history and comes only two seasons after missing out on the playoffs entirely. Stephen Curry took home his first NBA Finals MVP award and posted 34 points, 7 boards, and 7 assists in the deciding game. Over on the diamond, there's been a buzz around New York City about a potential Subway series in October. Let's check in with the Yanks and Mets and see what they're up to. The Bombers have gotten great pitching all year long, and last night was no exception. With Luis Severino sidelined due to health and safety protocols, a slew of Yankees pitchers, including Clark Schmidt and Michael King, took the mound and held the Rays to one lone run. New York Sluggers had a quiet night, and the game was tied 1-1 as things progressed to the bottom of the ninth. Luckily for Yankee Universe, Anthony Rizzo launched his 16th home run of the year to walk it off and guarantee a 2-1 win. The victory puts the first place pinstripes 10 games ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays in the AL East. Across the Whitestone, the New York Mets would attempt to recover from a 10-2 shellacking as they hosted the Milwaukee Brewers in a series finale. Tylor McGill made the start, but struggled to keep the Brew crew at bay. He surrendered four earned runs in just three and one-thirds innings of work. The Mets trailed four to one at one time in this thing, but like so many times this season, they bounced back in a big way. A Tomas Nito RBI single in the bottom of the fourth, and a Mark Canna two-run home run in the bottom of the fifth tied matters up at four. It was the young Nick Plummer who would make the difference as he drove in the winning run in the bottom of the eighth. Edwin Diaz slammed the door in the ninth and recorded his 13th save of the season. The W puts the Mets four and a half games ahead of a red hot Atlanta Braves team in the NL East chase. Finally, the 2026 FIFA World Cup cities have been announced. There are 16 total destinations, 11 of them are in the United States with the others residing in Canada and Mexico. Here at home, MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford is on the list as leaders and fans alike are excited to host soccer's biggest stage. With WFUV Sports, I'm Colin Lochran.
1: Thanks, Colin. And now, here's Alisa Ali with the What's What in Music News.
7: Earlier this week, we heard that the Rolling Stones had to postpone a couple of gigs in Europe after frontman Mick Jagger tested positive for COVID-19. Thankfully, Jagger has already released a statement saying that he's feeling much better and can't wait to get back on stage next week. You may remember that in 2021, Dolly Parton donated $1 million to Vanderbilt University Medical Center. That money helped fund their COVID-19 research, which ended up playing a key part in developing a vaccine. Now she's making another million-dollar donation to the same university to Help their pediatric infectious disease division. Not only is she a rock and roll Hall of Famer, she is a saint. In other Hall of Fame news, the 51st Annual Songwriters Hall of Fame induction and awards gala took place this week. This year's inductees included Mariah Carey, Steve Miller, Annie Lennox, and Dave Stewart of Eurythmics, Pharrell Williams, and Chad Hugo of the Neptunes, along with Ernie, Marvin, O'Kelly, Ronald, and Rudolph Isley, and Chris Jasper of the Isley Brothers. The award winning music. Music documentary Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, will be screened for free in Harlem this Friday, June 17th. This Questlove-directed film includes incredible footage of Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, Stevie Wonder, and other acts from the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. The film will be shown on the very site that the music festival originally took place. Back then, it was called Mount Morris Park. Today, it's known as Marcus Garvey Park. And lastly, we're celebrating some big birthdays this week. Beach boy Brian Wilson and the Beatles, Paul McCartney, both turn 80 this weekend. Sir Paul actually just wrapped up his Get Back tour at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, while Brian Wilson is still in the thick of his latest tour, which will reach the New York area next month. WFUV celebrates both of these musical giants on the Beatles' Fab Foursome with Dennis Elsus, Mixed Bag with Don McGee, and Sunday Supper with John Platt.
0: That was Elisa Ali with the What's What in Music News. Hear her weekdays on WFUV from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And that's our show for today. I'm Taylor Masetta. And I'm Christina Lulich. Check back with us on Monday at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports.
1: And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever podcasts are found.